We'll be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And I would ask you this, why do you come to church? Why are you here this morning? Is it to be closer to God? Is it to hear the preaching of the word? Uh, Do you come or have come in the past because you want your children to have a, a moral foundation and an upbringing in the church? Do you come to sing worship songs? Uh, Do you come to church so that you can become a better person? Is it for comfort in times of trouble in your life? Uh, Do you find the uh, teaching or preaching of the word uh, valuable to you? Do you want to be part of a community? Are you coming to church to use your gifts and strengths to uh, benefit the body of Christ? Or do you feel obligated to come? Is it something that traditionally you just grew up with so you go to church or maybe you have a spouse or maybe because your parents you go to church just because you want to please them? Um, Do you come to church to encourage your pastors and elders and deacons and deaconesses? I hope so. But really, why do you come to church? What is the reasons or that you have or your feelings? And uh, uh, or maybe I'd ask this, why do you not go to church at times that you choose not to. Some questions we need to ask this morning is, what is the church, what is the purpose of the church, and why do people go to church? If you look on the screen, you'll see the belief statement of our church, which is this. We believe the church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed, are redeemed through His blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church, which has been commissioned by him to go into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, for edification through the word of God, for prayer, fellowship, the proclamation of the gospel, and observance of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. That is a long statement, isn't it? It's like, man, okay, how do we touch on all that? Well, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2, and I want to uh, read this to you this morning. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Word of God. Father, we pray that in this moment that Your Word would be revealed to us in a powerful way. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that You move in our hearts, that You fill us up, that You open our minds to understanding the church and what You've called us Uh, to do and to be and to live as a church. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done at the cross for us, and we praise your name. We ask that you'd bless the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
It's so important that you get this first point that I wrote down. I put it as the last point as well, is that Jesus builds his church. I think some we, times we get it backwards and we think that a program, a building, or something that the church does builds the church. But the reality is this. The truth from God's word is that Jesus builds his church. Would you look at verse 41? The background here is this, if you don't know, Jesus Christ, he walked and lived this earth, and Jesus Christ is God, and he died on a cross, and when he died on the cross, he bore the weight of our sins, and the God and God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus the Son that was meant for you and for me. And because Jesus had never sinned, he was able to be the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could be redeemed and be given the righteousness of Christ and have a right standing before God. But not only did Jesus Christ die on the cross, but he rose again the third day, conquering death, so that we would also one day conquer death and we would be glorified with God for all of eternity with him in heaven. Jesus has, at this point when we come to chapter 2 of Acts, has been with the disciples for three years, the work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he tells the followers, we know which is about 120 of them, he said, go into the city and I want you to pray. Wait for the Holy Spirit who is promised to you. And then you have uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the great reminder of the promise given to God's people in this. Jesus says this in Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And after that, Jesus ascends into heaven. They watch him float up into heaven. He disappears into the clouds. The angels are like, what are you doing? He said, go into town. And so we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the believers, 120 of them, they gather in the upper room for a number of days and they pray and they wait until the Holy Spirit that was promised that comes upon them. And we read in Acts chapter 2, which you need to go this week. That's your homework. Go read Acts chapter 2 or read Acts chapter 1 and 2. And what happens, the Holy Spirit comes upon those believers and people that are gathered around are seeing this happening. And what's going on is they're speaking in native languages. And there's all these people gathered in town. And so this person from this country hears someone speaking their language going, wait, they're not from my country. And this person over here hears them speaking in their language like, what's going on? These people are drunk and... Peter gets up and gives the first gospel declaration, the first sermon, and he preaches to the people the gospel of Jesus Christ and says, this is happening because it was promised, and here's the work of Christ, and now this is being fulfilled. <clears throat> and in that, the Holy Spirit works and convicts hearts. And there's all these people gathered around watching this and listening to this. And what happens is they're struck in their heart and they say, what should we do? We are sinful people. And Peter says, repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. He didn't say, sign up for the membership class. He didn't say, go to this Sunday school class. He didn't say, show up at that church and go to all these things. He said, repent and believe. And not one of the disciples worked that 
It was all about God, and he's the one who builds his church. He's the one who started his church. And so verse 41, as we read, how many people came to faith that day? What does it say there in verse 41? (coughs) 3,000. Imagine that. You're gathered with a number of people, and 3,000 people right in front of you profess their faith in Jesus Christ. If that happened, we'd need to have like eight services on the weekend just to fit people in this room. That's a, that's a great, awesome, wonderful thing. It's also like, whoa, how do you help and serve and minister to 3,000 people? And the great thing is this. If we put our trust in our own self, we're not going to do that. But if we put our trust in God who builds the church, Jesus Christ, then he's going to continue to work in the lives of his people. There is a requirement to be a part of the church And some people go, oh, here's the membership. No, no. The requirement is faith in Jesus Christ. Because, you know, there's a number of Christian churches around this world, and I'm sure there are many people who come to a church and think that they are a part of the church, but they're not saved. And therefore, they are not. They may be in attendance at a church gathering, but they're not a part of the church because you must be saved, faith in Jesus Christ alone, uh, to be in the church The church, therefore, is made up of only Christians, only believers, only those who are saved. And too many churches compromise in this and just say, everyone's welcome, which is true. But we treat everyone as everyone's a part of the church. And the only people who are the church are believers who have faith in Christ. That does not mean that we do not love uh, others because we're commanded to love God and love other people. but those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the church. And it's good for us to have this understanding. Jesus Christ builds his church because he's the head of the body, as Paul writes to one of the early churches. 1 Peter 5 says that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so, I I don't know, I thought about this again this week, but maybe we need to change some titles here. If If you realize that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, he's really the senior pastor. There is no senior pastor in churches. I've been given a title, a senior pastor. I'm not a senior pastor. 1 Peter 5 says that I'm an under-shepherd, that elders and pastors are under-shepherds of the chief shepherd. So we're all associate pastors. Jesus Christ is a senior pastor. And if we get our eyes off Jesus and look to men, then the church is going to have a wreck. Look to Jesus. No one can take credit for starting the church. No one but Jesus. He's the one who builds the church. And if you read through the book of Acts this week, you'll see in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, there was 120 people. You come to chapter 2, verse 41, which we just read, and there's 3,000. So you got 3,120 believers. You get to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, and it says 5,000 men believed. It doesn't list if there were women or other children or whatever. So now the church is 8,120 people. You get to Acts chapter 5, verse 14, and there's multitudes of men and women who come to faith. So within a few weeks, was there 10,000 people? Was there 15,000 people? I mean, but if you look at even the fact of 8,000, man, you think, wow, that's trouble maybe. You know, you think, there, what do you do? Well, let's start some programs. Let's get this going. Let's build a building. But that's not what the apostles did. Look at verse 42. The church is to be devoted to Jesus. <clears throat> it says, 
Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What a glorious verse we have right here. A picture of the basics of what the believers did after they came to faith. The apostles taught what Jesus taught them. The people lived life together. But they were devoted and they were faithful to Jesus. It wasn't about other things and activities, but it was all about Jesus. So there's four things that we have there in verse 42. And the word devoted there, it means to be continually steadfast, uh, to persevere, to not faint, to give constant attention to. So this was something that was a constant action of the early church, these four things. I think I put them also up there on the screen The first one is the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God. The apostles, the disciples, taught what Jesus taught them. And if you go to Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was speaking to the two disciples uh, as they're walking along the road, he says, hey, all of the things in the Old Testament, they were about me. And so some people think that the apostles only taught the New Testament. Well, here's the truth. When you read... When the church started, they didn't have the New Testament. They had Jesus' teachings. They had the Old Testament scripture, the prophecies, the law. And so when you read through Acts, when you read through the letters that the different apostles write to the churches, they repeatedly quote the Old Testament and apply it to the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in the life of the church today. And so for those who say, well, I don't like the Old Testament. You know, I'm just going to be about Jesus in the New Testament. You're leaving out everything that was written about Jesus, which he fulfilled. And so all of Scripture is important, and you need to be devoted to it continually as the body of Christ. That's why we gather here on Sunday mornings. That's why we have studies in homes throughout the week and here on campus. And we have children's ministries and youth and Awana. What we're desiring to do is to be devoted and committed continually to the Word of God. And if we ever stray from that, watch out. So many churches dead in this nation. Even I'm amazed how many churches have died in this city. And I wonder... Is it because the churches neglected a continual devotion to the Word of God? The church is marked by their faithfulness to teach and to preach the Word of God. We are not to measure the effectiveness of the church by how many people attend on Sunday, how many people we can get to that event, how many people that are homeless that we help in the city, These are all things that are part of the life of the church today, but we cannot look to those things and measure that. We need to look to the Word of God and say, are we applying it in our lives? And I would say this, if you ever see myself or Pastor Sean or the elders or teachers ever begin to stray from the Word of God, you should hold us accountable. You should call us on the carpet. Don't listen to what I'm preaching. Go and read the Word of God. Don't just take what a person gets up and says as if it's uh, Scripture. 
Go to the Scripture and read it and apply it in your life because our foundation is on Jesus Christ and His Word. Programs are not bad. We have some great, you want to say programs. We have great opportunities for children and youth and for adults that are happening here every week, all year long. But we must guard also that our programs don't become a tradition because traditions uh, are bad for the church. And what I mean by that is we, we have seen, I have seen churches that will hold on to some program that is not ministering to people and it's become a tradition and no one wants to stop it. No one wants to say, hey, should we even ask if that's even something that God's in anymore because we've always done it that way. You ever heard that before? Man, in churches I've served over the years, it's, it's very, uh, I mean, it's like timely. I come into a new church in an associate position or a lead position, and I'll hear at some point someone say, well, we've always done it that way. Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Are we listening to God? Is it something that God did for a time that he's not doing now? And are we uh, so focused on that uh, that we don't listen uh, to what God's doing. And so <clears throat> the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, the studying of the word is something that must be at the center and the heart of uh, the believers. But it's also a guard. We don't worship the word. We worship Jesus. So they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second thing was fellowship, or I like to say living life together. This word in the Greek, koinonia, which it's a picture of community, communion, uh, an association, uh, fellowship. Let's look at this for a minute because Christians throw this word out all the time. Oh, I love the fellowship. No, you really love the donut that you got in the coffee. Oh, the fellowship was so good today because someone asked me how I was doing. They said, hey, how are you today? And I said, great. And I just walked by him. Or the greeter said, hi. Or, you know, and on and on. We, we really need to think past fellowship being a handshake, a free donut or coffee, a hug, uh, or, or just a nice word. Fellowship is this when you look at the body of Christ. They were living life together. The Word of God in the book of Acts tells us that every day they gathered in the temple and there was a gathering where they would teach the Word. They would be in the Word. They would pray together. And then they would go to homes and they ate meals together. How many love to eat? I do. And have you ever thought about this before? When you go and gather, maybe with either church or friends side, you sit down with some people you've known for a while where, and you have a meal People relax. They begin to laugh. There's just a good time together. I mean, that's what I picture the church doing. Even in their troubles, they gathered together and they lived life together. And so today, because we are used to gathering at times and services and programs, we have to ask the question, how are we truly living life together? What is fellowship for us today? Is it truly only 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings? And maybe the occasional extra services? Or does fellowship also happen when you walk outside the doors of this church? Among the believers here in Discovery and believers in Missoula. In a couple of weeks, our family is going to be uh, going back to California. And we have a memorial service for my grandmother. And we're going to have Thanksgiving with my dad. And we're going to see other believers there. Uh, the fact that we can gather together and have that fellowship together, that's the picture of the life of the church, and it must mark us today. 
And so they committed themselves to the word of God. They fellowshiped. They lived life together, supporting, encouraging one another. And they broke bread. And so again, they ate meals in homes. It doesn't always mean here communion every single time because like today we're taking a a piece of bread and cup today and it's so orderly in the way we do that and we go okay they would eat meals and during a meal like Jesus did in the night that he was arrested he's like hey he broke a piece of bread that they were eating he had a cup of wine that they had there and he said when you do this as often as you do you do this in remembrance of me and so sometimes it's good for us to get out of our mindset that it's not in these trays or this time together. It's actually this picture of the church, again, eating a meal together. And as they did that, they remembered the cross. Maybe when you gather with other believers in your home as uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving is coming, maybe you need to stop in the meal and just think about, hey, let's remember what Jesus did for us today. You know what, as we're breaking this bread or this food together, as we're drinking this stuff together, you know, let's remember for a minute what Jesus did for us. And that's a picture that you see among the body of Christ. My dad, when he went to college in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, had uh, looked at a couple of churches. And if I remember right, I think my grandma and grandpa were going to go visit. And they said, you better be in a church when we get there. And uh, his friend Howard and him said, all right, well, let's go try another one. They went to some churches. They went to this one church one Sunday, and they go in, they sit down. And before the service starts, these two college guys are there, and a couple walks up and says, hey, we're so glad you're here today. You're going to lunch with us. Now, for these two college guys, they're like, hey, awesome. We get to go lunch today. But they went back to that church, and that became his home church while he was there in college because there was this fellowship that began to happen. Some of you today need to, as soon as this service is over, or wait for the second service, say, hey, you want to go to lunch today? Or, hey, if you can't do lunch, let's go get coffee. Let's go do something. Some of you need to do that because we can get so in the routine of, I'm coming to church, going to church service, hearing the preaching, and I'm going home. Maybe I'll go to Tuesday night or Wednesday. Maybe I'll do this, but then I'll do it next week. I don't know if I want to spend time with people. I've got trouble in my life, whatever. And we neglect the fellowship of the body of Christ. So they committed themselves continually to the word of God, fellowship, living life together, breaking the bread, remembering the cross. And the fourth thing there is prayers or as Moses spoke to God face to face, that we have that same privilege that we can speak to God today. And uh, the picture, though, that I see when they're continually devoting themselves to prayer is corporate prayer. Last Sunday at the end of our services, we were praying for uh, healing and, and anointing with oil for people who were dealing with sickness or maybe other types of healing in their life. And we were doing that there. Uh, we have uh, uh, people who gather before this service and before the next service every Sunday. And all they do is gather for a few minutes to pray. And I was thinking about this this week that the church continually prayed and you read through the book of Acts and corporate prayer comes up over and over and over. Before the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, they spent days praying together in the upper room. You get to Acts chapter 4, the, they start being persecuted. They're being arrested. The church gathers and they pray and ask God for boldness. And the Holy Spirit fills them and says they went out and preached the word of God. They shared the gospel with other people with boldness. 
not just the apostles, the believers. You get to Acts chapter 12, and Peter is arrested. And while he's in prison, he is praying. But there's a corporate gathering of believers at a house, and they're praying for Peter. God does this miraculous thing and sends an angel and knocks out the guards and throws the chains off of Peter, and he leads him out. And Peter goes to the house knocking on the door, and a servant comes to the door, and he says, hey, it's me, Peter. And she's like, no way. She's all scared, runs off. They're all praying and say, hey, Peter's at the door. No, he's not at the door. That's a ghost or whatever, you know, it's his ghost. You know, they're like, no, you know, it goes there. And God was answering the prayers at that moment of the people of God. And I wonder how many times do we just throw the prayer out? Or do we neglect corporate prayer because we don't truly believe God's going to answer? Maybe he'll answer years down the road. No, is God going to answer? We're praying for a number of people in our congregation who are battling with cancer, people who are battling with uh, all kinds of struggles in their life. Do we truly believe that God will answer our prayers? We say we do. Is God holding off to answer a prayer because he wants to build our faith and he wants the whole church to gather in and pray? Yes, God answers the prayer of one, but he also answers the prayer of many. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, in verse 18, Paul says, pray at all times. After he says, here's all the armor that God's given you to stand when Satan's throwing those fiery darts at you, to stand uh, in the midst of a dark world. And he says, pray at all times. Um, I'd ask that some of you would pray about coming before the services and gathering upstairs and praying with those who are coming every week. Maybe some of you just need to say, hey, I need to gather a few people from church and just say, hey, come to my home. We're going to pray this week. Maybe we need to spend some time and just, hey, we're going to have a corporate prayer time and just come together and do that. But prayer can be one of our greatest resources, one of our greatest weapons, but it also can be as a church, one of our greatest weaknesses. So, looking at the church, they were devoted to Jesus, His Word. They were devoted to Jesus, to the fellowship of one another, because Christ abides in the life of every believer. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, eating meals together, remembering the cross. And they were devoted continually to prayer. And because of that, you see how they then live life together towards one another. In verse 43 through 46, we see that the church is to be devoted to one another. <clears throat> I'd ask you this to think about uh, 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 when you choose not to attend church. Maybe, maybe there's sickness, whatever, but, or vacation, you're gone. But think about this. Are there reasons that Christians uh, choose not to attend church at times because either they don't feel welcomed they don't like the sermon. They don't like the songs being sung. They don't have enough time. They're too tired on Sundays. Um, you know, some of the top reasons why people don't attend church uh, and they're believers is, uh, oh, those believers are too judgmental. I got to go find another church or I'm just not going to go to church. I give up. They're too hypocritical. I don't feel connected at all. Or a lot of times people stop attending church because of conflict with another believer. I was reading this statistic recently that um, today in America, um, regular attendance now 
is considered attending three out of every eight Sundays in the year. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not talking about attendance is it. But when you look at the life of the believers and you look at the life of American Christianity today, you see a great difference, a great vast difference, actually, in a number of ways that less than 25% of Christians in America, you know, are, are, are hardly gathering in the church for fellowship. Um, and I wonder if the main reason is that believers are not in awe of the work that God is doing today. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And some of us can say real easy, well, yeah, hey, 10,000 people, 15,000 people come to faith right then. Yeah, I'd be in awe of that too. Or the apostles are healing people, the lame are walking. Yeah, I'd be in awe of those things. But do we think that God only worked then? And that he doesn't work now? Some of you have had God work in powerful, mighty ways, and you don't share it with anyone. And that just taking a moment to share how God's called you to him or how God's done this work in your life or how God's answer to prayer can be a such great encouragement to the body of Christ that people can just be in awe of God and his wonder and his majesty and what he's doing now. But we think, well, that's what he did in the church in Acts and not now. Verse 44 says, And all who believed were together, there it is again, and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And here we go again. It's like, all right, are we going to talk about offering again? You already took one. You're taking a second one today. It's like, you know, it's like picture the body of Christ selling things they own. So this weekend, my dad for my birthday had sent me this inflatable fishing pontoon. So I went out on Saturday, it was a Saturday, Friday, whatever, and, uh, for a couple of hours on the bitter root. And I loved it. And what if God was putting on my heart, Paul, you need to sell that because we've got needs in the church. I'd be like, oh man, I just got that. Or hey, that extra vehicle you got, you need to sell that. You need to help, you know, we got these needs. And it's like, oh, wow. Uh, man, I don't know. Lord, I'm all in. Uh, but not not my card collection, not uh, uh, my extra rental house. You know, not, you, I mean, we really struggle with the physical things that we have. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't say that they just sold their house. They weren't making uh, ridiculous decisions. Don't listen to p- uh, so-called pastors on TV, TV who tell you, sell everything, give it to the church, and if you have enough faith, God will provide. Those are things that are not scriptural. It's an abuse of people. But you need to think about the fact, how am I being called to use the things that God has given me to bless the body of Christ? I would say probably our greatest battle, look at, look at verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There's no command by the apostles or anyone to do any of these things. We'll see in a minute, thir- approximately 30-something years later, the book of Hebrews is written, and there's a command there and a charge there. But there wasn't any command or charge to do what they're doing here. This was part of their life and the outflow of the Holy Spirit in their life toward one another. It's actually the things they were doing was a sign of new life. 
Is there a sign of new life in us in the way that we fellowship and the way that we bless others and the way we love God and the way we love others? Because our Western culture promotes cancer in our churches, and it's called individualism. My church, my things, my people, my needs. It's always my or I all the time. And that's what Western culture promotes here in the United States of America. And it is cancer to the body of Christ. It's cancer to the church. And what happens is we get so focused on ourselves that we're not in awe of the things that God is doing. I'm so thankful that being a part of Discovery... You are generous. We have a budget we set every year. We have staff. There's ministries. There's outreach. There's missions. There's benevolence. And I'm so thankful for how the church gives. And and I say this. We had a budget meeting this week. And we're so excited to see how God is giving. And we have things that people designate for certain things. I want my money that I'm giving to be given this way. It's not necessarily bad, but it can be a danger when the church can't make its budget because things are tied up in designations and not trusting the leadership to apply the finances that are given in the body of Christ. And so a church I worked at uh, at one point in 2010, myself and four other pastors were laid off. The church had almost a million dollars in the bank. The reason it was laid off is because all these things designated, people were being given generous, but they were like, no, I want my money controlled this way. And there were people who only wanted their money given a certain way because that was their way to control their church and the leaders. So now some of you might be like, oh, I, you know, I don't think of it that at all. And, and I'm, if that's you have a clear conscience for the Lord. But again, if there's a way that we try to control the church, think about that. Reflect upon those things. There was no pressure or command for them to do these things. No no pressure or command. It wasn't saying, hey, you must attend. And that's why 10,000 people went to the temple and then went to homes every day. Acts chapter 5 verse 42 tells us of this life. And it says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. That was the constant focus, the preaching and the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 10. 30, approximate 30 years after the work here and the church begins and Jesus builds his church, approximately 30 years later, now you have a charge. Now you have a command to the believers about, if you want to call it, church attendance. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's a great thing, right? And then it says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. They already had this problem. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is encouragement when the body of Christ gathers together for the word of God and for the fellowship and for the prayers and for eating together. And what we really see is their devotion to Jesus and their devotion to one another is there being obedient to Jesus? In Matthew chapter 22, he tells them, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, your strength. He said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
This is being lived out in the life of the believers. And we have to ask the same question today. Are we together loving God and loving other people? And we might say, yes, then we need to share. How do we see that evident in Discovery Alliance Church, in the body of Christ in Missoula? Uh, Wherever we are going, are we being obedient to Christ and in these things? But they were united, and sometimes people are skeptical and go, they were not united. It wasn't perfect, right? How many of you know that there's a perfect church out there? Anyone? How many of you say Christians and churches still deal with sin? I didn't say unbelievers. I said Christians and churches, right? Just a couple chapters later, you read in Acts, you read about Ananias and Sapphira. They lie to God, and God strikes them dead about their money. But you continue to read through Acts, and you read the letters that Paul writes to the churches. Go read 1 Corinthians, and he writes about the sin in the church. And so not one church is perfect. They're constantly being encouraged and corrected by the Word of God and by the leadership. But yes, there's still sin that is dealt with in the church. And so the church is not perfect But our unity is found in Christ. And the more we focus on Christ, the more the unity happens in the church. And so when we focus on Christ and the unity in him, gossip, fighting, hatred, uh, divisions of all kind, uh, the pride sin will flee in our gatherings when we're focused on him. We're to love Jesus and love other people. And Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6 is a great Encouragement to the body of Christ. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 and 6 says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with with Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You ever listen to that perfect singing duo? And there's that perfect harmony or that choir. And you're just, you're just so amazed. Not one person is hitting a wrong note. Then you hear the people get up and they're singing and someone hits the wrong note. You're fucking your ears. You're like, oh, that's horrible. As a church, we can have this great harmony By the power of the Holy Spirit, working in our lives, devoting ourselves to these things, loving God and loving others, or we can focus on the disunity, and we can focus on the programs, and we can focus on these frustrations and sound like a horribly tuned band or a group that cannot even sing together and should get off the stage. Because if you look at verse 47, the reminder is this, Jesus builds his church. So if you missed it in verse 41, look at verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. There are people watching us today and going, are those people in harmony? Are they in disunity? When I see Discovery Alliance Church from the outside, they're like, wow, look at the unity there. Wow, listen, that's it's like a perfect harmony. Or do the people look in and go, those people are a church? Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the church is commanded by Jesus to do something. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20 is what we call the Great Commission. It's what you, if you're a believer, this charge is for you. 
individually, and it's a charge for us corporately as, as discovery, as all the believers in this world are. And it says this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And if you go back to verse 47 where we're at, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. God saves today, doesn't he? He builds his church today, amen? We're commanded to go and do that. Our mission statement here at the church is to know Christ and to make him known. To be committed to Jesus Christ, devoted to him and his word. And to be committed and devoted to other people hearing that same message. As the worship team comes forward, as those who are serving communion this morning come forward, um, Jesus is still building his church today. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this to those who are listening to him, and he says it to us today in Matthew chapter 5. He says, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We need to pray that people on the outside would see discovery and they would praise God because they see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Would you pray with me? Father, as we uh, take a moment, take a piece of bread and uh, this cup together, we pray that it would be done in unity. We pray that it would be done in a manner that you are glorified. Father, would you help us as the church, your body, to live out, to live life together, to be committed to your word, to be committed to one another, to be people who pray. And Father, I pray for any in this room who have come in this room today and they do not know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that today is the day of salvation, that they would believe that you, Jesus, died for them in their place for their sins and you rose again. I pray that they would believe in you and that you would save them this morning. Be glorified in this time as we take this bread and cup together. In Jesus' name, amen.